This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. The heart of the holiday season is upon us. As with most celebrations, this season brings families together in traditions and rituals. What these reunions look like, however, varies quite dramatically depending on the family. I find that stories about the holidays can provide some of the deepest insight into how an individual exists within their own unique family unit. This week's story from teller R.J. Silva explores the rules for navigating his own family and how he found common ground with family members quite different from himself. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in October 2022, Second Story is proud to present My Father's Stroke. I was not excited to turn 30. Not because I didn't want to accept that I was 30 and everything that comes with being in your 30s, like losing your tolerance for jalapenos, cholesterol tracking, and waking up with a sore back just because you've slept on it weird. What I was really dreading was the weekend itself when I would have my entire family in town. I knew having them here meant I would be my parents' personal valet for all their other plans. My dad had a full itinerary the eve of my birthday, a day of golf with military friends, then dinner with everyone's families. This meant that it was mandatory for all of us to be there. My last day of 29 would be spent as Butch Silva's personal entourage. This was our family's unspoken rule in action. Whatever dad wants, he gets. I remember my earliest call for duty was middle school when we lived inside an Air Force base. Our apartment building was right next to a driving range and after school I had mandatory weekly golf lessons. He wanted to hand down this love of the sport to me almost in desperation as my sister got a pass for being his only daughter and my older brother who's autistic shared his love for aircraft instead. Take a wild guess how that worked out. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with golf. I hated being outside under the hot sun, and anytime he would force me to come with him on a day of golf, I would whine on the golf cart until he was over so I could run back into the clubhouse and play my Game Boy, wishing I was back home on the dial-up instead feeding my Neopets. <laughs> but as soon as I stepped on the driving range, everyone, from the caddies to the ball boys to the lady selling sandwiches, knew me as Butch's son. My instructor would say the same thing every time in Tagalog, palung palu talaga ng tatay mo. You hit the ball exactly like your dad. From the thwack of the seven iron to the tilt of the pointed right foot and the follow through rotation of the torso, I had my father's stroke. To my dad, this was feeding his pride. This was like his dream coming true, passing down to a next of kin. To me, it was a constant reminder that we were nothing alike. My dad was strict and rigid. Uh, he was a colonel in the Air Force, and that nickname pervaded into how he ran my family, always giving orders, and no one would question why and no deep conversations or sharing feelings either, just acknowledgments of yeses or noes. Don't ask, don't tell. 
I was emotional, sensitive. I would wear out my sister's Spice Girls cassette tapes and I would glue my eyes to the TV at every S Club 7 music video. Every lesson felt like a slow sink into a sand trap. Each comparison made to my dad felt like an inch deeper into this fantasy that we had nothing in common. Until finally, I stopped going to the lessons. When my mom found out, we got into this huge fight and she would hit me with a familiar line that never lost its blunt force every time she used it. This is the only thing your dad wants from you. After everything he gives you and does for you, you can't be a good son and do this one thing for him. That buried me alive in a sand trap of guilt and shame, unable to claw myself out. My family only strategically flies Southwest for the free two checked in luggage. <laughs> This meant that my husband and I would have to drive through rush hour traffic to get there on time, load up our tiny Toyota Yaris with luggage, and then split up so my husband would take home the bags and I would teach everyone to use the CTA. <laughs> our orders were as follows. Adam will drop off luggage at hotel, head to Luminati's, get a reservation for nine people, and hold down a table while RJ and the family make their way to the city. The following night, my birthday eve, RJ will drive the colonel to the western suburbs for a golf game. And then after work, Adam will drive everyone back to the same suburbs for dinner. I mean, we were just exhausted from talking about the weekend plans. My husband had been accustomed to this since we started dating in college. I imagine he thinks that I am tethered to my parents and will fling back for any reason deemed necessary. It's someone's birthday or my brother needs company while they're out of town or just the, well, you know, you haven't been home in a while. And in, I know in this traffic to Midway, in our minds, we're just asking ourselves, why couldn't they just rent a car or fly in earlier or later, or you know, just not exactly when everyone is commuting back home? As Adam loaded the bags in his trunk and back seat, my mom nudged him and winked and said, be careful with these two bags. These are filled with food for you and RJ. As if suitcases filled with canned tuna and MSG packets would make up for it. My dad, under his breath, comments that we should swap Adam's car for something bigger so we would all fit next time. Adam pants to me and I shrug. Whatever they want, they get. You know, for not playing golf, I was extremely skilled at keeping score. I meticulously count the favors I have done for my dad in fear that an emergency would come up where I would turn in the scorecard to prove that I was a good son and need something in return. I never imagined it would be for my wedding. You know, I've reconciled before my marriage that my life and my duty to my parents were separate, but I wanted them to be a part of my life and I didn't know if they wanted that. Maybe they'd rather keep the colonel's rule, don't ask, don't tell. But I wanted to try. I was driving my mom when I told her that Adam and I were engaged. And unlike my father, <laughs> I am a Xerox copy of my mother. From the face, the apple cheeks, even to the swollen ankles. 
But the biggest thing I inherited from her was her flair for the dramatics. <laughs> she has watched so many Korean dramas that she overdramatizes everything, and this drive was like a scene plucked from Crash Landing on You. The AC was blowing my mother's hair, and I put on my sunglasses to hide my welling eyes. I dialed down the volume of NPR and told her that Adam and I were getting married. Silence, and then a sigh. She asked me why. I didn't answer, she should know why. The, the same reason she married my father, the same reason my sister married her husband, the same reason Yoon Seri and Lee Jong Hyuk got married at the end of her show. And then she asked me if we had to tell my father. And all of a sudden, I erupted years of bottling up sand, finally twisting her words against her. This is the only thing I want from him. After spending my entire life trying to make him happy, I was a good kid, a great student, and am very successful in my career. Can't he swallow his pride and be my dad for one day? Imagine cherry blossoms in the wind as her tears gracefully fell down her face. Finally, she turns to me and says, let me tell him. So on the night my mother told my dad he was laying in bed in silence as she talked to him through the details. On the second day, he didn't speak to her. On the third day over dinner, he asked why. He's his own person, she said, with his own life to live. On the fourth day, he asked when. On the fifth day, he asked who else was going. On the sixth day, he started making some calls. And then on the seventh day, he bought the Southwest tickets. He flew in with an assortment of actual relatives, relatives by marriage, and our found family of Filipinos, one of whom was my mom's best friend from the Philippines, who had supported our family through all kinds of financial and emotional troubles. Her presence made me wary, as if this was another event she was needed to be on guard for. The night before my wedding, I asked her if she thinks my father will still come. She said she didn't know. If he decides to not want to leave the hotel tomorrow, then she'll be there to be with him to make sure he's okay. And I felt the weight of sand suffocate me as I think, oh, if I just liked this stupid sport, this misogynistic, elitist sport that's terrible for the environment, if I just kept going to these, these stupid lessons and played golf with my dad, he would show up to my wedding? I, I wouldn't have to keep score, he would just be there. From where I stood during the ceremony, in the front row was my mom, wearing white, Next to her was my dad. He never took off his aviator sunglasses and wore a sport coat that didn't quite match his pants. During the sign of peace, I embraced them both, and as soon as I was in his arms, I came undone. The tears were uncontrollable as I got through the end of the ceremony, kissed my husband, and ran to my wedding party and cried in their arms. 
My best man's suit was soaking my tears as every single time my father showed up for me, ran through my head, coming to every show I was in, retiring early to help fund our move to America, paying for my parking tickets and medical bills. My family also had a saying that went, basta para kay bunso, everything always for our youngest. I always thought this meant like, I could decide between Chili's or Applebee's. <laughs> I had no idea they meant it for something much deeper than dinner. In what was supposed to be a celebration weekend for me, I let my dad have my last day as a 29-year-old. We went to dinner with his friends and sat in the living room drinking wine until he was tired. And in return, he included Adam with the family as my husband. So yes, I am aware that this is the most inconvenient love language someone could have, and I agree. But at least it's not a mystery anymore. As soon as I get out of my own sand trap, my dad will be on the green, working on his putt, and maybe I'll play. Maybe I'll just sit in the golf cart. <laughs> but at least I know he's there. This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by Lizzie Dzinski, and directed by Elisa Duncan, with music and sound design from Mike Benedict and Justin Gavazos. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walder Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Tom Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.